In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies. It is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. Have you ever wondered what it's like to be buried in an avalanche? weird foreign feeling of despair or how it feels to crash a skydive i remember hearing a thud feeling my body hit the ground or how you would react if you were being attacked by an alligator at the end of my leg is this huge alligator head on my leg these are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called what was that like true stories told by the actual person who went through it you'll hear from a victim of an attack dragging me into the bathroom and saying, I'm going to kill you, now you're going to die. You'll hear from a man who discovered a baby. How could this be? How could there be a baby on the ground? And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Clanky County 911, there's a man at my back door. He's trying to get in. What was that like is a podcast about real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode of Conspiracy Unlimited, a longtime JFK assassination researcher lays out 10 compelling proofs that the 35th president of the United States was the victim of a conspiracy. Dallas Police Department Sergeant D.V. Harkness also ran into several, as he describes them, well-dressed men. But it gets better. It didn't seem suspicious when these well-dressed men simply told him they were Secret Service agents. Now, here's the problem with all the cases of Secret Service agents in Dealey Plaza in a nutshell. There were no Secret Service agents anywhere in Dealey Plaza. They were all accounted for at Parkland Hospital with President Kennedy and Vice President Lyndon Johnson. This podcast is brought to you by BrightBiz. If you own a business or you've dreamed of starting one, there's a helpful free guide with 36 business power tools proven to boost sales, increase income, simplify your life, and give you better results with less effort. 
Best of all, this business toolbox is yours absolutely free. And these are useful online tools that make doing almost anything a lot easier. Just visit freebusinesstoolbox.com and grab your copy. I know a lot of websites offer you a special deal and then they stick you with some recurring program. That's annoying, but this isn't like that. There's no hidden thing to try. Brightbiz is giving away this guide free of charge as a means of putting their best foot forward. But all good things must come to an end, so don't wait. Grab your free guide today. Visit freebusinesstoolbox.com. Freebusinesstoolbox.com. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Well, hard to believe it is Friday again. Hey, just a reminder, stay tuned for the weekly draw and your chance to win a copy of a Strange Planet CD. That's a collection of my weekly radio features that air up here in Canada. To get in on the draw, it's real simple. Just rate and review this podcast. Grab a screenshot of that. Email it to me at richardserrett.com one at gmail.com and don't forget to include your full name and mailing address in the email that's important and then your name goes into the ginormous cheese puffs jar and make sure you're listening every friday and maybe i'll draw your name good luck and have fun so i saw this story in the online edition of the london evening standard a leading armed forces charity there has called for greater awareness of the causes of World War I, after a survey revealed that some millennials thought the JFK assassination led to its outbreak. Let me repeat that. A survey revealed some millennials thought the assassination of John F. Kennedy led to the outbreak of World War I. You heard me correctly. The SSAFA, formerly the Soldiers, Airmen, and Families Association, wants people to pass stories of the Great War down to younger people so they will be celebrated and never forgotten. So in this survey of 2,000 millennials, it found 6%, 6% of millennials thought the murder of U.S. President John F. Kennedy caused the conflict. I should also note uh, that a, a certain percentage of uh, millennials also thought Britain fought France in the war and that Margaret Thatcher was the prime minister <laughs> during World War One. Then my good friend uh, up in Kingston, Brent Holland, who's a world-renowned composer for film and TV, also happens to be one terrific writer and broadcaster and a JFK researcher. He passed this document along to me the other day. It's a, a, He put it together. It's a concise and cogent list of 10 proofs, we'll call them, 10 proofs that JFK was the victim of a conspiracy. So I thought, I got to get him on to discuss this. And he's here, and we're going to talk about uh, some of these verifiable proofs, some of which I'm guessing you've never heard before. Brent Holland is, as I say, a long-time JFK assassination researcher and is the last person to ever interview Theodore Sorensen, 
That's President John F. Kennedy's trusted advisor, speechwriter, and friend. And uh, he he interviewed Ted Sorensen just before he died uh, back in 2010. And Brent is also the author of JFK Assassination from the Oval Office to Daily Plaza. He was the only Canadian invited to deliver a keynote speech in Daly Plaza in Dallas to commemorate the 50th anniversary of JFK's murder. He's a multi-award-winning music composer for feature films and television and is also the host of the radio program Night Fright, Paranormal Radio from Canada. Brent Holland, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you, my friend? I am so happy to be here tonight with you, Richard, and your great listeners and viewers from all across the land. Um, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on once again. Much well, my, appreciated. My pleasure. And thank you for sending this uh, terrific document that you put together for tonight's uh, podcast. So succinct. Really, I think, nails. Uh, the, the, I mean, you just the case is closed after reading this. Let me just uh, share this with the folks. This is what you, you put together. Top 10 facts. Proof. JFK assassination was a conspiracy. Just facts. No speculation. No opinion. No theories. Just undisputable facts proved by science. Released files. First person witnesses. And number one, confirmed conspiracy. Uh, JFK closest aide, Ted, Soros, Ted Sorensen. Uh, and we'll we'll get into his um, d- interview with you in a moment. But let's let's start with number ten on your list: destroyed files and evidence. This uh, Richard is a file that came across my desk unexpectedly, and uh, it was back in October 2017. A fellow by the name of Bill Kelly, who's a renowned JFK researcher, wrote an article on top 50 missing assassination records. And here are just a few, I'm not going to do all 50 tonight, of the key files that are missing. Now, on January 4th, he reports, in 1997, a woman by the name of Joan Zimmerman, then working for the Assassination Records Review Board. Now, for those of you that don't know what that is, because of the movie JFK in 1992, there was such an uproar to release the JFK files. You've heard about the JFK files finally being released last year, et cetera, et cetera. Well, this is the beginning of it. There was a big investigation to see what files would be allowed to be released and which ones were going to be held back because of secret, uh, top secret um, confidences and things of that nature. So, Joan Zimmerman was one of uh, the investigators, and she went around and interviewed several people. One of the people she interviewed was a fellow by the name of James Mastrovito. James Mastrovito, he's a Secret Service agent, and he was in charge of the JFK file complete in 1997. He stated that he took charge of between five to six filing cabinets worth of material. That's a lot of files. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mastrovito said he had purged, his word, between 2,000 and 3,000 files of what he called mental cases. And what he classified mental cases were people who claimed they killed JFK. So he's just thrown out up to 3,000 files. 3,000 files of the JFK assassination. Who knows what was in them? The most disturbing, however, and repulsive is what he also did. 
Are you ready for this, folks? In 1969, or perhaps it was 1970, his memory is vague on this date, a fellow by the name of Walter Young, who was his supervisor, handed him a small little vial. Imagine a pill container. Mm -hmm. The label clearly stated it came from the autopsy, guess where, Bethesda. Bingo. Now, Mastrovito said it contained a piece of President Kennedy's brain. You know what he did with it, folks? Now, this is a quote directly from the document. Mastrovito said he destroyed the vial and its contents in a machine that destroys food. They destroyed a piece of evidence and a piece of JFK's brain. Could you imagine the outrage if somebody had to destroy a piece of Lincoln's brain? Right. Well, if, yeah, but for historical purposes, for oh. moral purposes, just doing the, an indignity to to a body. But who's overseeing this guy? I mean, in, in the fact that he's destroying a brain, as you said earlier, what else is he just destroying willy nilly? And the big question is, why destroy a piece of evidence? Mm-hmm. Now, there's got to be something nefarious behind it. I mean, you just don't throw out a piece of the president's brain in a food processor. Oh. This makes no sense whatsoever. So obviously, there was a cover-up going on here. And to destroy a piece of uh, a president's brain that is a piece of evidence in the biggest crime ever committed in the 20th century... I think speaks volumes to what is going on behind the scenes here. Right. And now tell me about the director of the ONI, Rufus Taylor. What is the ONI? The ONI is the Office of Naval Intelligence. Ah, right, it's right. another one of those spaghetti uh, acronyms that they have in the United States for all the various intelligence services. You know, there's the CIA, Central Intelligence um, and then there's the FBI, Federal Bureau of Investigation, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the ONI is the Office of Naval Intelligence. So right. it's like military intelligence. Sure. And it pre- I think it predates uh, even the OSS. Uh, I believe it does. Hmm. It was one of the very first ones. I think that was – I think it's been around since the First World War. But don't quote me on that one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So this fellow, Rufus Taylor, was the director – of the ONI, the Office of Naval Intelligence. And he was in charge of the assassination files for the JFK assassination. Now, here's one of the files that came to light that he had, and I'd never heard of this before. He had undercover agents working in Jack Ruby's Carousel Club. Can you imagine installing and maintaining the sound system so I used to do this as a living. I used to work on rock shows, the Jackson tour and things like that. And I was a sound guy and a light guy. So this guy was masquerading as a sound system guy in Ruby's Carousel Club. And all the, all the time, he was an undercover agent working for the ONI. Now, Why? Why? What did, they, what did they want with, what did they think Ruby was up to? That is the key question. And we can only speculate at this point. But obviously, Jack Ruby was under scrutiny. But on top of that, it is the only surviving document from this big Trevor Trove of assassination files that reports that Oswald was seen in the club, in Jack Ruby's club. And as we know, the Warren Commission clearly states that there was no connection between Oswald and Ruby, who, by the way, shot Oswald Mm -hmm. and killed him. 
Um, so this is this is mesmerizing that this is coming to light now. And once again, mainstream won't touch it. So thank God for folks like you, Richard, to get this information out there to the people. And once again, folks, this is not fake news. Okay, I'm telling you, these are files, actual files, like Richard said in the beginning. There's no speculation here. These are word-for-word files. So this is terrifying to think that all these files have been covered up for all these years. And this is an important document because it demonstrates a very high likelihood that Oswald and Ruby uh, knew each other, obviously prior to what was sort of portrayed in the mainstream media as just this, you know, vendetta uh, killing uh, of Jack Ruby, who, you know, wanted to avenge the president. Very much. And uh, you're absolutely right, Richard, with that. It also confirms what Beverly Oliver told me. Beverly, Beverly Oliver worked at um, Jack Ruby's Carousel Club. Not really. She she frequented the place a lot. She worked right beside it. But she said publicly that she witnessed Ruby and Oswald together and also a fellow by the name of David Ferry. Now, for years, people have been denouncing what Beverly said. This is finally the proof that backs up her story, that there was indeed an undercover agent working there that had seen very clearly Oswald with Ruby in the club. So this is electric. I'll say, I'll say. All right, now you have some interesting uh, records of FBI wiretapping of Oswald. Let's dip into those. Yeah, this is incredible. Um, I, again, I had not, no prior knowledge of this information at all. And this is from the aarclibrary.org. You can check it out for yourself. And it's um, Missing Records, and it's by a fellow by the name of Malcolm Blunt, who, again, is a legendary JFK researcher. And he posted this only on January 10th, 2018, not that long ago. And it says, while in police custody, as well as post-assassination tapes of Ruth Payne and Michael Payne and Marina and Robert Oswald, that's Lee Harvey Oswald's brother, phones as reported by Irving Police Chief Paul. So these records of FBI wiretappings, they had wiretappings of Oswald while he was in police custody. As well as after the assassination, they had phone call taps of Ruth Payne, Michael Payne, that's her um, her husband, and right, Marina. And Marina Oswald is the wife of Oswald. Right, and we should, and mention, we should mention that Michael Payne worked at uh, Bell Helicopter, and Ruth and Michael Payne befriend the Oswalds. I mean, go yes. figure. Here's this uh, defector who comes back and is welcomed by this powerful couple, Michael and Ruth Payne. What is he doing hanging around them? Well, it gets even better. It turns out Ruth Payne's mom is friends, close personal friends with Alan Dulles. Alan Dulles, folks, the head of the CIA. Mm. How does that work? Fascinating. Now, so what are the, what's the significance of the fact that they were, they, they were wiretapping uh, Oswald? Well, I guess they they obviously thought something was up with him. There was something in the works. And perhaps I'm only speculating now, folks. I have I'm just trying to analyze it to at this point myself. Perhaps they felt there was something in the works and they had to keep an eye and 
quote-unquote taps on what Lee Harvey Oswald activities were. And given Ruth Payne's background and Michael Payne's background and Marina, of course, she'd come over with Oswald as uh, a bride in Russia. So perhaps maybe she was an undercover spy or something. I don't think she was, but they had all this stuff. They just wanted to keep an eye on what was happening. The point being, all this wiretapping stuff has disappeared. There's no, Isn't that convenient? No, not even a transcription. Doesn't seem to be. From what it, from the sources I've asked, there doesn't seem to be anything left of this information at all. It just has a heading, and then you go look for the files, and the files aren't there okay. under the heading. Hmm. Expun- expunged so from the record. Yes, expunged from the record. All right. Now, um, I want to move on sure. uh, to uh, mobster uh, Carlos Marcello. Now, he's he's part of the Sam Giancana gang, right? That's right. All right. And he confessed to this assassination. Tell me about this. Yeah, it's so bizarre. Um, again, I have to credit another researcher for this, Lamar Waldron, who's been on my show. And he's written a book um, that uh, DiCaprio actually um, has decided that he may turn into a movie. And the book is called As My Mind Races. Um Oh, my goodness, I can't think of the book. But the author's name's Lamar Waldron. If you Google Lamar Waldron, you'll find his his books, and they're great. So he's done a lot of investigation with FBI files, and he came across this confession by Carlos Marcello. And the confession is, yeah, I had this SOB killed. I'm glad I did. I'm sorry I couldn't have done it myself. Now, those were the words of Carlos Marcello, who's a mafia godfather of Louisiana and Texas, New Orleans. And he was talking about the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. In 1985, Carlos Marcello was incarcerated at the Federal Correctional Institute in Texarkana, Texas, Now, unbeknownst to Marcello, and things like this happen all the time, folks, the FBI had placed an informant by the name of Jack Van Lanningham in the same cell. Along with the FBI informant, Lanningham brought a small transistor radio. The radio had a mic and transmitter, and conversations were recorded to FBI audio files, and we do have those. This is why we know this is fact. This is 1985. This was often done with high-profile mobsters with the intent of getting the prisoner into a relaxed, safe atmosphere so he would confess to crimes he had committed. It worked. Marcello confessed involvement in the assassination and bringing two hitmen to kill Kennedy through Canada to the U.S., Hmm. So there we have a little bit of a Canadian connection. Now, it's speculated that they came across at Windsor with the bridges. That's the closest way. And then down through Detroit, which is mafios of territory always, and then right into uh, Dallas. Right. Now, was Marcello, I know he was, as you say, the, the godfather in Texas and Louisiana, but was he working yeah. with, with Giancana as well? Yes, Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just as a, a sidebar on that, Sam Giancano was the godfather of Chicago and uh, Momo, he was called, and he was good friends with Frank Sinatra and um, Joe Kennedy, uh, <laughs> Joe Kennedy, all these characters. And as we know, on uh, November 11th, 
1963, a couple of weeks before JFK was assassinated, November 22nd, 1963, there was a motorcade planned for Chicago. And it was canceled at the last minute because there was rumors coming in that there was a hitman down there to kill Kennedy. Right. And that's Sam Giancana. Nothing happens in Chicago without Giancana Momo knowing about it. And the same thing can be said about Texas and New Orleans. Ah, well, what's interesting about the Chicago um, situation, the uh, aborted assassination was, some speculate, you could weigh in on this, that the person who tipped them off that there was an assassination about to go down was Oswald himself. Oswald himself, yeah. yeah. The person who called in, his name was Lee. <laughs> there you go. Now, so, do we have the... Tra- that can of worms. So do we have these tapes of the Marcello? Uh, have you seen, heard them? Do we have transcripts of the Marcello confession? I have seen transcripts of them in um, Lamar's book. I have not heard them myself, but this is something, once again, I, I just want to point out here that something that makes me crazy about mainstream. This information was known in 1985. 1985. And I'm going to guess for probably 80% of the folks, your great listeners listening right now, this is the first time they've heard of it. Why is that? Exactly. Why is that? Exactly. Why is it every time mainstream gets so – CBC just did this the couple of weeks ago. Well, a couple of months ago. They were talking about the Kennedy assassination, and they were just ripped – all the researchers apart. And it was disgusting because they never talked about these facts that you're talking about, allowing me to talk about and tell the folks right now. And this is not my research. Once again, folks, these are known facts, files, no speculation, nothing. This is this is the information. This now, is not fake news. Now, we, I, I guess we have to point out that just because Carlos Marcello confessed doesn't necessarily mean he was involved. It could be his just, uh, you know, being trying to make himself more grandiose or whatever. Uh, it's just talk, right? But did he name names? Did he talk about specifics did he say where who these assassins were and where they were you know so and so was on the Daltech building and so and so was over here did he go into that kind of detail not to my knowledge uh at least not in Lamar's book now he may have in other books uh and if I ever read the transcriptions he may have but you bring up a good point we should question everything I guess what I'm trying to say is these are the facts that are known right now perhaps they deserve some investigation from, say, the Fifth Estate, um, the other CTV news show, W5. Why not go into this and, uh, you know, like we're going to get to the Ted Sorensen uh, confirmation of assassination and conspiracy. Why has nobody picked up on that? Ted's been gone now since 2010. Well, the problem is, you know, most of the report investigative reporters out there, so-called, a aren't fit to cover a house fire, and two, <laughs> two most of them weren't even born when the movie JFK was shot. Never mind the president. Yeah, I don't know how often I've spoken to younger people and asked them who JFK was, and I get a blank look on their face. So this is why we do the shows, right? Exactly. We have to teach the young people about history. It's so important. And I learn so much uh, when I talk to you, Brent, as well. So it turns out you can teach an old dog new tricks. And how about your pet dog? Would you like to develop your dog's hidden intelligence and eliminate bad behavior and create the obedient, well-behaved 
pet of your dreams? Well, a woman named Adrienne Ferricelli, who is a professional certified dog trainer, has helped hundreds of dog owners train their dogs to be well-behaved, obedient, loving pets by bringing out that hidden intelligence that's inside all dogs. You can quickly eliminate any behavioral problem your dog has, no matter how badly you think it's ingrained, no matter what kind of dog you have. The science behind this is simple. You may have heard of neuroplasticity in the human brain. Our brains are capable of learning new behaviors. Well, your dog's brain has that same plasticity. With the right mental stimulation that Adrian teaches, any dog's brain will become more open and receptive to learning new information. Your dog will listen to you and understand what you want it to do. When this happens, bad behaviors simply fade away as more desirable ones appear in their place. So if you want to check out this remarkable dog training system, just visit realbusinessbargains.com. That's realbusinessbargains.com. realbusinessbargains.com. The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Then, it is violently opposed. Finally, it is accepted as self-evident. Let me just read that again. I don't know what that means. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. JFK assassination researcher, broadcaster, author Brent Holland is with me, and we're discussing his list of 10 proofs that JFK's assassination was a conspiracy. I, I want to jump ahead because I do want to get to the Ted Sorensen um, piece, but I want to talk about these false secret service agents. The grassy knoll was was just crawling with, with yeah. uh, so-called secret service agents when... All of them were present and accounted for at Parkland Hospital. Yeah, this is a, an incredible – this has been known for a long time, and it was also put in the movie JFK. So this has been around forever. And once again, why mainstream doesn't cover it, I don't know. It's going to be a repeating man, mantra for me tonight. So Dallas police officer Joe M. Smith. It's important to remember he's a trained police officer. This is not – a stand, somebody uh, standing on the street. This is not a young child. This is a trained police officer. Race behind the picket fence on the grassy knoll seconds after the shots rang out and killed JFK. There, he encountered a suspicious man. Patrolman Smith pulled his sidearm. That's how suspicious this guy was. And don't forget, there was a murder that just took place. He pulled his sidearm and demanded to know what the suspicious man was doing there. You know what the guy did next? The guy took out a Secret Service badge and told Smith to keep looking. Hmm. So he did. He figured, okay, well, I guess he really is a Secret Service guy. He's got the badge. He's a trained police officer. Now, this same scenario plays out moments later at the rear of the Texas School Book Depository. That's where everybody feels, from the mainstream anyways, that Lee Harvey Oswald took the shots from. But they were closing the building off. Dallas Police Department Sergeant D.V. Harkness also ran into several, as he describes them, well-dressed men. But it gets better. It didn't seem suspicious when these well-dressed men simply told him they were Secret Service agents. Fair enough. Nothing out of the ordinary, right? Now, here's the problem with all the cases of Secret Service agents in Dealey Plaza. In a nutshell, there were no Secret Service agents anywhere in Dealey Plaza. I should repeat that. 
there were no Secret Service agents anywhere in Dealey Plaza. In fact, they were all accounted for at Parkland Hospital with President Kennedy and Vice President Lyndon Johnson. Now, NASA physicist G. Paul Chambers, I quote him directly, told me I had the chance to talk with G. Robert Blakely, heading the 1978 House Select Committee on Assassinations. He said he checked every federal agency. There was no federal, there were no federal agents of any kind on that grassy knoll. So somebody was there with official credentials who no one wants to take responsibility for. Someone who shouldn't have been there. So, just who was impersonating the Secret Service in Dealey Plaza, where the president had just been assassinated? More mm. importantly, why? Why at those specific locations? You've got the grassy knoll, where everybody feels the shots came from, the Texas School Book Depository. Once again, everybody feels that shots came from there as well. Both locations believed to be where the shots originated from. What were these false secret uh, service agents up to? Now, just as an addendum very quickly, a fellow by the name of Malcolm Summers also raced up the grassy knoll. He is just a a citizen. And when he ran uh, into the fence, he jumped the fence. And uh, once he reached it, he encountered a man in a suit with his coat over his arm who sternly warned Summers, don't come up here. It might just happen to get shot and killed. So it's pretty terrifying Mm. stuff. And Chicago Secret Service agent uh, Abraham Bolden, the first African-American Secret Service agent on White House detail, handpicked by uh, JFK himself, also told me that there had been a badge that had gone missing just a couple of weeks before from his office. Uh And he wonders if that badge may have shown up very conveniently, November 22nd, 1963, behind that picket fence. Interesting. Now, the, this, to me, if I, if I might speculate, sounds like a cleanup crew. Uh, maybe they were looking for spent cartridges uh, to pick up and so. pocket so that, uh, obviously, no one would know the shots came from the grassy knoll. As if, yeah, as if there that. isn't enough evidence uh, <laughs> without the, the actual cartridges. Just look at the Sapruder film. That's about all you need. Uh, I want to skip over the the, the magic bullet, and I want to go right to to Sherry Feister, CSI, crime scene investigator. Uh, Talk to me about uh, Sherry's work here. Sure. Sherry, uh, unfortunately, passed away tragically from cancer last year, about this time last year. Young woman, uh, early 60s, just tragic, tragic, tragic stuff. And uh, Sherry was sisters with um, Deborah... Conway, who runs JFK Lancer. Sherry had been over at her house, crime scene investigator, Sherry it was, uh, had been over at her house and they were looking at the Zapruder film. And um, Sherry had never been into the crime scene uh, investigation at all of the JFK thing. And she said, oh, she said, that shows a front splatter pattern from a frontal shot. (laughs) So (laughs) Deborah stopped the cameras, literally turned to her and said, what did you just say? She said, oh, yeah. She said, that's a, that's the typical blood spatter pattern from a frontal shot. That's the headshot Z313 or Z313 um, that is shown in the Sapruder film. So the Sapruder film actually does show 
a frontal shot, never mind back and to the left. We all knew that already. But it is now confirmed by 21st century crime scene forensic science. Now, this science was not around in 63, so we have to do, we have to cut them some kinds of slack. But now we've got a senior crime scene forensic science um, officer that has put people behind the bars for similar things and gone through, you know, everybody's seen CSI this, CSI that, NCSI. It's the same deal. Right. Uh, This is how they solve uh, murders. She was she crime. was a senior crime scene investigator. Now, exactly right. Was it just based on her uh, watching the Sapruder film, or was there any sort of analysis of the Sapruder film? She did a lot of analysis. She's written a book on it. Actually, it's out there. And essentially, she looked at where JFK's head was pointing at the time of the kill shot, which is twenty five degrees off center. So this proves, now this is controversial, okay, folks? Everybody agrees there was a frontal shot, and I do think there were shooters on the grassy knoll. She believes the kill shot came from the south knoll, the opposite side of Dealey Plaza. And I went and stood there when I was down there in 2013 at the uh, memorial, 50th memorial, and oh my God, is that the most ideal spot for that shot? And um, she believes that that's exactly what happened. The kill shot came in. You can see the blood spatter, frontal blood spatter, uh, from the um, the frame Z one three one three Z three one three. And um, she took a protractor. She used all the uh, science available to her, and she found that that's where that shot originated from. Now, in terms of escaping, it was even easier to escape from that side. Because when I was over there, there is a direct exit from the parking lot. Same deal. There's a picket fence along there, too. Direct exit from the parking lot right onto the Stemmons Freeway. Right, right. When you look at all pictures, there is nobody standing over in that area in terms of crowd. Isn't that interesting? They were alone to do what they wanted. Everyone is focused on the grassy knoll on the other side of the street. Yeah, uh, let's let's go to Ted Sorensen. And as you say, sure. this was uh, Jack Kennedy's confidant, his speechwriter, mm-hmm. um, the man who wrote the um, the speech that perhaps was the nail in the coffin um, for Kennedy. The peace speech. The peace speech. Yes. The June tenth. My mistake. Sorry. In nineteen sixty three. So mm-hmm. you and you you may have conducted one of the last interviews with. Ted Sorensen, uh, or am I exaggerating? I think no, it, w- it, it was uh, exactly that. Um, it was his last. Uh, how much time have we got, Richard? I don't know how to condense it. Let's. We have five, five or six minutes. Okay. So I, Ted Sorensen um, passed away just after I interviewed him in his Manhattan apartment on uh, September eighteenth, twenty ten. And uh, he was ready to unload. And I brought my video camera. I have all this on video camera and turning it into a documentary, as a matter of fact, as we speak. And um, he named agencies. He named um, the possibility of um, military intelligence, all the alphabets, as I call them, being involved. Um, Now, everybody says, well, that's quacky. And I say, no, it's not quacky, because if you look at an operation called Mongoose, you've got the... um, Cuban exiles, anti-Castro Cuban exiles, 
you've got the mafia, you've got military intelligence, and you've got the CIA all working together to overthrow Castro and bring power back, the power base back to Cuba. So they were all working together. Once Kennedy said, that's it, we're not going into Cuba. We just had the Cuban Missile Crisis. You know how close we came to not being here, folks? We're not going back into Cuba. Cuba can relax now because that was part of the deal to get the Russians to pull the missiles out. So all automatically, uh, the, uh, the forces that be were not happy at all with JFK's decision on that. that Sure. He threatened to smash the CIA into a thousand pieces and cast them to the wind. Exactly right. And this is exactly what got him killed. There wasn't just one thing. There was multiple things. But this was the the nail in the coffin, if you will, especially that peace speech where he wanted to bring um, the the Soviet Union space and uh, program and the United States space program together. He was... Wanted to bring a uh, a nuclear detente, if you will, and uh, stop above ground uh, ex- not exploration uh, experiments with nuclear bombs. Because Oops, I just, just I just lost you. Are you still there? Oh, Hang on. I am still here. There we go. Sorry. Okay. There's a, there was a little glitch for some reason. Otherwise, it's sounding great. Okay. So he wanted to join. He wanted to merge the U.S. and the Soviet space programs. And also he wanted to uh, create with the Soviet Union, and they ended up doing this actually, uh, a ban on nuclear test um, testing above the surface because it was poisoning the atmosphere. And uh, they did it. Uh, there was a real reconciliation between uh, after both sides came so close during the Cuban Missile Crisis, there was a real movement for reconciliation and let's not do this crazy stuff again and, and – annihilate the world so but did Sorensen did Sorensen say I mean did he name names other than let's say you know his own speculation one one might ask well how was he in a position to know well he was in a position to know because he was one of the closest aides to uh, JFK just as Kenny O'Donnell and David Powers were close aides and they were in the follow-up car to the um, president's limousine, the motorcade, and they saw the shots coming from the from the grassy knoll, and they were told to shut up for national security reasons. So they did, because they'd just gone through the Cuban Missile Crisis, and there was a fear that the in- information coming in, false information, I should say, coming in that it, it was the Cubans and it was the Soviets. So they shut up. And it was the same with Sorensen. They were all told to shut up. So, so they weren't even subpoenaed by the Warren Commission? No. No, no. And well, they were they did testify, but they just they didn't really come out and say they saw what they saw. They were told to shut up on it. So, yeah, it really, you know, I mean, these are all facts, folks. You can do what you want with them. Um, The Ted Sorensen thing, he absolutely does confirm conspiracy uh, without question. He goes into more detail um, and that. Detail information will be made available um, very shortly when I release the documentary. So, yeah, it's going to be um, for for fans of uh, the Kennedy assassination. What a thing to say, fans! <laughs> for people that follow it, it's right. going to be earth shattering. I'll Absolutely say, earth shattering. Let's well, see if mainstream picks it up. Uh, thank you so much for for putting this together. So concise, so succinct. Um, how do we listen to you on the radio? Oh, you can uh, find me on Google. Just Google Brent Holland, and uh, all my shows will come up. I have a show called Night Fright, 
And uh, it's all on YouTube. So thank you so much for that little plug. That's very sweet of you. Brent, thank you so much for uh, coming on and laying out this uh, open and shut case. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. I'm available anytime for you, my friend. We will will do a part two and a part three, I'm sure. And as always, if ever in Kingston, man, do I know this great beer pub. (laughs) You're on. I'm so overdue. I'm so overdue. (laughs) All right, brother. Good night. You too. My best and love to your family. Well, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'm going to fill you in on what's happening on the next Conspiracy Unlimited. And of course, don't forget, we also have our weekly draw just ahead. But first, I want to congratulate my good friends at Life Extension for their Mega Green Tea Extract. What an amazing product. Mega Green Tea Extract provides powerful antioxidant effects throughout the body. Green tea contains health-promoting polyphenols, including a powerful antioxidant which has been the subject of extensive scientific research. Pour on these multiple health benefits. Green tea is a powerful antioxidant. It supports cell membrane integrity, boosts liver detoxification, enhances immune function, and helps maintain healthy blood cholesterol, LDL and triglyceride levels, and much more. Life Extension's Mega Green Tea Extract is decaffeinated, yet it contains more polyphenols in one capsule than seven cups of green tea. The Chinese have used green tea for therapeutic purposes since 2000 BC. More recently, volumes of published scientific findings attest to its multiple health benefits. One capsule a day of Mega Green Tea Extract is all you need. Give your body what it needs. Order right now from Life Extension and save 25%. Just go to smartclickidea.com. That's smartclickidea.com. Smartclickidea.com. All right, time for our draw. Pry open the lid. Reach into the jar. Pull out a winner, and here we go. And we have Richard McMillan of Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. Congratulations, Richard. I'll be sending out your uh, CD in the post right after I finish here. All right. Coming up on episode 47 of Conspiracy Unlimited, The Shroud of Turin. More scientific evidence this holy relic is, in fact, the burial shroud of Jesus Christ. Until next time, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. <laughs>